Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. Today we are joined by Lauren and Carolyn, the founders of Mental Push Plan. Today's episode will be part one of a two-part series. In today's episode, we discuss Lauren's birth stories and how Carolyn supported Lauren through her birth trauma. Say hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited that we, I, I'm trying to remember like when we first talked about doing this, it's been several months at least. So I'm thankful that even though I have a cold right now, that we're finally getting to sit down and chat and get this podcast recorded because I'm really excited mm-hmm. to hear. I know we've talked a little bit on our pages about like your heart behind the mental push plan, but I'm really excited to hear more about like your personal journeys becoming mothers and yeah. So with that said, let's start with an introduction about yourself and your family. My name is Carolyn. I am a birth doula as well as a yoga instructor specializing in prenatal yoga, uh, as well as the co-founder of Mental Push Plan. I I live in Boise, Idaho with my husband and our three-year-old daughter and our dog. (laughs) Uh, I used to work in uh, medical device sales and marketing and got very burnt out very quickly in that oh, field yeah. and um, decided to do a complete 180 and do my yoga teacher training. And that was um, when I learned that I really wanted to be in the space of teaching and empowering women. And it's kind of funny that I I thought that teaching yoga would bring me into that space. And then years later, I had an opportunity to do my prenatal yoga teacher training. And it was there that I learned about a birth doula. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to. Um, So it was a long path, but it kind of led me into um, becoming a birth worker that I believe is my true calling, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I uh I love yoga. I've been practicing I don't even know how long now. I started in college and have loved it ever since and it was a godsend when I was pregnant, especially with my first. She was over eight pounds, so I'm only five foot one, so that was a lot of uh a lot of uh what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of strain on my body. Mm-hmm. All right, Lauren, you're up. Okay. Yeah, so I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and really enjoyed getting to grow up there and was very into sports. So I played a lot of team sports, and I had a sports psychologist growing up, and she really had a soft spot in her heart for female athletes and really took a lot of us under her wing. And I just was so struck by how amazing the work that she was doing was because it was helping us be better athletes, yes, on the floor, but it was also, I think, enriching us as people. I was seeing Mm. how these skills were transferring off the court as well. And so that was something that became a passion for me 
very early on and sort of knew that that's what I wanted to do. So it took me a while to get there. Um, I ended up <laughs> completing my PhD um, from the University of Minnesota in 2017. And um, still after all of that was like, okay, but what do, what do I want to do with this? Um, and it was having my first child that I was like, oh, my sports psychology background helped me so much in giving birth. And this is someplace where, again, as I mentioned, these tools are transferable. Yeah, they're great on mm -hmm. the court, but these are also life skills. And I thought, you know, what better way to have a meaningful impact in the world and to stay close to my roots of, of working with women and working with females than to be able to do this. And so, yeah, that was what really piqued my interest. And thankfully, Carolyn and I were actually having our first babies um, at the same time. So we were really able to connect over that. And we're really feeling like, man, like we can do some good work in this area. So let's let's do it together. That's amazing. Uh, can I ask when you're, what month in 2019 your babies were born? So I was, I had my daughter in September uh -huh. and then Lauren's son was born three weeks later, four weeks later in October. October. Yeah. So I was September 2019 as well. That's why I asked. Mm. Yeah. So. yeah 20, 28th for me. I was the 19th. Okay. October fourteenth, so right there within a month. Actually, the twenty eighth is the day that I count as my survivor anniversary because that's the day that I woke up from a from a coma. So that's like a really cool day in wow. in my world. Yeah, little side nugget. Mm. All right, let's jump into your guys's birth stories, and I'll let you guys pick who wants to go first. All right, I'll give it. I'll give it a go. I've got two, so I'll try to be a little bit more brief. Um, I just had my second. Um, he, well, he's eight months old now. It seems like that time passes very quickly. Um, <laughs> but my first child was actually born in Spain, and we were over there for my husband's um, MBA program. So we were there for about two years. It was a really great experience, but if you follow any of the politics in Spain, uh, we were living specifically in Barcelona, there was a lot of unrest going on around the Catalonians in Barcelona trying to secede from Spain. Um, and the day that my, my son was born, there was, you know, uh, another big protest that was going on. We were pretty used to them at that time, but this one really um, took on a life of its own and became more than a protest. They became a week-long riots going on in the streets. So that was sort of the context of what was going on around us. And I was laboring at home. My intention was to try to have an unmedicated, um, low intervention hospital birth. And so I was trying to labor at home as long as I could before going to the mm -hmm. hospital. But we could hear the helicopters going on around us, and my husband kept running out of our apartment to check on what this, what was happening on the streets and how are we going to get to the hospital. And yeah, so we finally, I reached the point where I was like, I got to go. I'm, I'm really feeling like there's lots of pressure, there's lots of pushing, and we ended up having to walk four blocks to try to get a taxi, and then the taxi was stuck in traffic, and what should have taken about seven minutes to get to the hospital took us more like 30 to 40. Um, so I arrived at the hospital nine centimeters dilated and they were like, 
get her in. <laughs> so um, I, it was sort of a, a whirlwind with all of that going on. And it, within an hour and a half or so, um, our son was born. Not what I had pictured for my birth and not something you could prepare yourself for, right? Um, no one thinks that that's going to be the context in which they're going to be trying to give birth. Um, so that was really probably because of the level of context that was going on with my birth. I really was like, man, my mental tools helped me stay focused and stayed centered on myself when mm -hmm. all of this you know, could have been hugely stressful and it could have been really traumatic for me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thankful that my mental tools were really, um, were able to take me through that experience. And then just briefly, my second birth um, that I just had in Idaho, Carolyn was my doula, of course. And um, she was so incredible because she got to my house. We were like, yeah, you know, things have started to go, but it had only been, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And then um, Kellen was like, well, you know, I'm just going to come over and, you know, see where you guys are at. And by the time she got there, I was like <laughs> really in labor. And she was like, I think we should go to the birth center. Um, I decided to give birth at a birth center this time. And thank God Carolyn was there because we walked in and I had a baby in about 25 minutes. <laughs> um, so just in the nick of time. Yeah. Just walked in and got in the tub and was ready to go. So it was fast. It was really fast and furious. So it was, um, you know, ex a different experience in, in that regard, that it was just so mm -hmm. fast that there was no really chance to catch your breath and figure out what's going on and where am I at? It was just within three hours of my contractions really starting, uh, I had had wow. a baby. So, um, yeah, it was a, a different experience. And also, again, my... <laughs> my mental tools were really helpful for keeping me focused and preventing me from getting really, you know, anxious or overwhelmed by the speed. So those were my, um, birth experiences. I've got more in my journey, but, um, we can kind of jump into that next. I'll let Carolyn tell us about her lovely birth. We're covering the gamut here. So Lauren had a hospital birth, a birth center birth, and then I had a home birth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had a planned home birth and I'm really grateful for the midwifery care I had um, the amount of prep that they gave me in my prenatal visits as well as I took an amazing um, birth class that I think just really well prepared me for um, the situation but um, I think from that education my water broke at three in the morning and I think it's pretty common for when um, someone's um, bag of waters breaks um, that, and that's the onset of labor that they immediately think they need to go to the hospital. Um, and I had like a full gush, like I woke up at three in the morning and thought I had peed, peed myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, you know, wasn't feeling any like crazy contractions yet and I woke my husband up and told him um told him and then we just went back to sleep <laughs> yeah so we went back to sleep and I woke up again at about eight in the morning and was kind of feeling small contractions but knew that this could take 
a day to days. And so we went to the farmer's market that morning. We made a big breakfast. It was really lovely. And, um, and my contractions started picking up in the afternoon. And that was when I called my doula and the midwives. And I had my baby at home at 1130 at night. So full day experience. But I mean, it was pretty textbook in terms of the length and kind of how everything went. And I'm really happy that I I did a home birth. That was something that I just, I felt intuitively that that was how I wanted to give birth from very early on in my pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to, to do it that way. I initially wanted a home birth, but the nearest hospital at that time was 30 minutes away. And my husband was like, no way, no how. There's Mm -hmm. so many factors to consider when um deciding where you're going to give birth and I think a huge one is how far is the hospital from you right you want that reassurance and that backup plan and um it's it's different for everybody depending on your your situation and your desires I will say I wish I'd looked more into birth centers I never knew that that was an option which is weird because my mother-in-law uh, delivered both of hers at a birth center. I don't know why I didn't think about like, hey, that's an option. I'm not sure. Anyways, but yeah, I I was induced with my first, so it was a failed and a failed a failure to progress. So I had to have a C-section and then developed a uterine infection, and yeah, just had a lot of um, uh, interventions that just made the process. Hard on top of hard on top of hard. Lauren, let's go into the second part of your story. In addition to my two living children, um, I have a a three-year-old and, as I mentioned, um, an eight-month-old. In between those two, um, in between the birth of my two children, um, I also experienced recurrent miscarriage. So when my oldest son was about a year old, we decided to start trying again. And we were very excited to have um, children close in age. We're thinking we wanted a bigger family. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's get it done. <laughs> I, it was pretty thick into COVID at this point. It was um, kind of fall 2020. And I, of course, had to go to my mm-hmm. doctor's appointments alone. And for all of the women who have gone through losses during this very strange time in our history, um, I really feel for them of having to go through some of these experiences, um, not just go through them, but go through them very alone to not have somebody that they know in the room, they're holding their hands. Um, I know what that feels like and it really sucks. Um, so it was during my yeah. second ultrasound, I'd come in and done an ultrasound and they're like, you know what? We don't see anything, you know, right now. I think we're just too early. So why don't you come in in another week? And when I came in that second time, um, I now know, and I know that this is such a common experience, again, for others who have gone through loss, that the ultrasound technician is very vague. They, you know, you would think that they would have training in how to talk to somebody who, when they're seeing 
signs on an ultrasound machine that show an ectopic pregnancy or um, a blighted ovum or baby that's not growing to this development size that it needs to be. There should be some training on how to start having that conversation as you're seeing it in the room, but they are unfortunately um, quite terrible at that. And so I was given very little information, just, yeah, you know what? It looks like, um, I'm not sure what's going on here, but let me see if a doctor is available to talk to you. So I was then shuffled into another room where I had to sit by myself for a while until they could find a doctor to come talk to me. And that was when I really, at, at first I had no, no knowledge of what was going on or why are they doing this? I was given no insight. And so I'm sitting in this room by myself and I'm texting my husband and I'm like, something must be wrong. You know, why are they doing this? I don't know what's going on. And when the doctor finally came in, they sort of launched into here are your options before even telling me what was happening. And so it was just, you know, that part was awful. Um, And we really do need to do better in that department when it comes to helping people through these experiences. So I ran out of there as fast as I could and, you know, tried to get home and process with my husband. And the first time that this happened, I, I did have a blighted ovum. So nothing was developing in the sack. Um, and that doesn't mean anything. You know, I was pregnant. I was expecting to be pregnant. All of those feelings and those emotions were already there for me. But I did take a little bit of comfort in that from my perspective. You know, I thought, okay, well, you know, there never, there never was a child. It's not like there was something growing and then it stopped growing. Um, I tried to take comfort in that. Um, even though I was still very heartbroken, I decided to let the loss progress naturally on its own. Um, I was praying a lot and I was really hoping, you know, maybe they're wrong. You know, I'm just going to let things unfold the the way that they will. And, you know, maybe they're wrong. Um, well, they weren't wrong. Mm. Um, it took my body, I don't know, another four weeks, um, to actually recognize the loss. And for the process of the miscarriage, the pregnancy loss to happen on its own. And um, Carolyn mm-hmm. happened to be with me. Um, and this was, you know, one of those moments where neither of us planned for that to happen and it the way that it did. And I'm so thankful that she was there. Um, Carolyn is a, she's like a caregiver. That's, I mean, in her nature, Carolyn is a caregiver. And so she was there to give me good care. (laughs) And, um, unfortunately my miscarriage turned rather traumatic. It already is traumatic, but then, um, I did end up having a tissue blockage. So my cervix was unable to close. Um, and so I kept bleeding and it got to the point that I passed out and, they had to call the ambulance and I had to go to the ER in the middle of the night for an emergency DNC. And just, it it felt like, you know, another layer of a horrible process that like I didn't need to have. Right. And so just that physical complication of the way that it actually culminated, um, I think was the worst part, um, honestly, because I sort of, come to grips with it I think like you know as the bleeding started okay I knew that this was going to happen I was hoping that it didn't but you know I'd kind of prepared myself but I had not prepared myself for that aspect um but in true optimist fashion I was like okay well I can 
you know, I can weather this. We can, you know, still keep building our family. And we decided to get pregnant again almost immediately. We waited the the one month that is typically recommended for letting your cycle reset. Um, and we decided to try again. And mm-hmm. we got pregnant again right away. And so I was feeling like, okay, like that was really tough. And it's a part of my story now, but like we're moving on. We're on to the next. Um, and it was, I had a, a good ultrasound first go around. There was good um, heart um, movement. They had the, the pitter patter going. And it was when I went back for my 10 week appointment, they were trying to do the over the belly um, check and they weren't catching anything on um, the Doppler. So they sent me back to ultrasound again. And this time I was a little bit wiser um, on the fact that again, ultrasound techs just don't know how to handle um, talking about loss in that scenario. And she had asked me, how many weeks are you? And so she was going through a scan and then she asked me again, so how many weeks are you? And I repeated, I'm 10. And she said, okay, well just give me a second. I'm gonna, I'll be right back. And as soon as she said that and left the room, I knew what she was gonna say. And my husband thankfully was with me at this point. They were now allowing um, partners to be um, there for appointments. And he said, don't, don't freak out. Like you don't know what that means. It could be anything. And I said, no, that, that they don't leave these sorts of situations unless there's something wrong. And she brought my OB in and yeah, mm-hmm. she took a look at the screen and grabbed my, my leg and just said, I'm so sorry. And, um, I fell apart. I just, I did. I lost it. I didn't think, you know, I knew after having my first pregnancy loss, how common pregnancy loss is, right? 25% of pregnancies end in loss. It's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Prepare ourselves for that or like understand that, you know, when we're getting pregnant, there's so much talk about not getting pregnant when you don't want to. Um, we just sort of assume that once you're ready, it just, it happens, right? And once you see that positive um, pregnancy test, that, you know, that's the end of it. Um, that's not the case. And, but I did not prepare myself for the idea of a recurrent or subsequent pregnancy loss. And that was really what hit me, hit me really hard. Um, I yeah. decided to start going to therapy for the first time in my life. Um, and I needed it because I didn't, I didn't know how to process my emotions, the, this idea of, you know, guilt or shame or um, blame that a lot of people experience, you know, what did I do wrong and trying to, you know, logically knowing I didn't do anything wrong, but emotionally feeling like you did. Um, and so trying to process all of that yeah. um, was difficult. And so, yeah, my, um, journey to and through pregnancy and parenthood um, has has seen its uh, share of of bumps and bruises um, along the way. That's such a, such a beautiful, I don't want to say beautiful because beautiful feels like the wrong word. Such a like perfect way to say that bumps and bruises. Um, Yeah. Although those bumps and bruises are hard to swallow and hard to work through. And um, 
I, w- I want to honor like the hardship and all of that is it feels too like when our providers are giving us this news and then you hear about, you know, uh, you having to go be rushed to the ER or, and not that that's anyone's fault. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, but, you know, just these compounding traumatic situations on an already traumatic situation. I just, my, I just question like, what, what can we do better to, as, as you were saying, like, how can we better train ultrasound techs to, you know, personally, I don't understand why they can't give the news that like, you know, like, why can't there be a button on the ultrasound that pages the doctor to come in the room? You know, something as simple as that to decrease the trauma that these parents are experiencing, learning that their baby yeah, is gone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 100% to all of that. And I really felt like through my experience, it wasn't, I don't want to say that I received poor care because I think from a physical standpoint and a medical standpoint, I received adequate care. Um but it was, yeah, that emotional component of seeing me as a whole person, of seeing me mm-hmm. as a mother, as someone who is, you know, already invested and in loving this child, and then seeing it as sort of a medical process. Mm-hmm. And so it was really through that experience that, that yeah. I was, I was already interested in birth centers and midwifery care, and it was going through my losses in a OB's office that I was really like, I gotta, I gotta do something different because this didn't work for me. Um, and so I changed course and started mm. going to see a, a group of midwives and just felt so much more seen and so much more cared for from a holistic standpoint. Um, and I know that's not, you know, going to be an option for everyone. It sort of depends on your health history and, um, your pregnancies and, and all of that. But for me, it was a really good shift. I felt um, more cared for as a whole person and it matched um, the structure of, of my body and my health and my pregnancies. So I'm really happy that I was able to make that shift and it really made a difference mm-hmm. for my subsequent pregnancy and birth because becoming pregnant again after that um, was really difficult. So anyone who's gone through a, you know, a quote unquote rainbow pregnancy mm-hmm. knows this. There's so much more. Pregnancy automatically brings anxiety and worry and stress and all of that. Um, but when you've experienced loss along the way, those things are heightened tenfold. Um, and it can be really hard to cope and wanting to feel honoring the the difficult part of what you're experiencing, like honoring that, yeah, you've been through something that makes you feel stressed and worried and anxious about the health of your child, but also wanting to honor the, you know, the joys of pregnancy Mm -hmm. of, you know, being excited about the new life that's growing inside of you. And so trying to find that balance of knowing that these emotions are colliding and how do you process and and work through and honor both sides of what you're Mm -hmm. experiencing, um, giving space for both of those um, was yeah, was a new experience for me in this most recent pregnancy and, and birth. I'm so happy to hear that. 
um, for our listeners, can you explain, I think you called it a blighted ovum. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a blighted ovum is basically where the gestational sac has formed and attached to the side of the uterus. So the very beginning um, of the growth of the, of the fetus and the baby. So um, like sperm and egg have met basically, and they've, and they've started to then build that, that sac that baby is then mm-hmm. um, grown inside of. But for whatever reason, the, the fetus itself actually never develops. So the sac is there and it implants into the uterus, but there's no, um, there's no fetal tissue inside of it. So there's no baby mm. actually growing. So your body recognizes the, the hormone level changes and, and the shift there. So your body acts as though it's pregnant, even though there's no baby developing inside the sac itself. And so um, it's kind of the, yeah, this weird experience where your body thinks it's pregnant when um, no baby is actually developing at that point. Lauren, you said that Carolyn was such an amazing caregiver for you as you were going through these pregnancy losses. Carolyn, can you kind of describe things from your perspective? Well, I think when Lauren was going through her first loss, I had never had any personal experience with loss or had been really close to anybody or, you know, in proximity to someone who was going through that process. So this was all very new to me as well. Um, and I also recognize we were, um, we were at, had it, um, we're at her in-laws cabin for the weekend. It was, it was over new year's. And so it was us and our husbands and our two babies and, um, or each of our kids. Mm-hmm. And I, from uh, just oh, another female perspective, I think you just feel you just intuitively feel for someone going. You can tell like when there's when there's hurt, and I think that mm-hmm. no offense to our husbands, but they don't quite pick up on those like subtle energetic changes is like the best way I can describe it. Like, I think we we all knew that Lauren was like going through something, but uh, I think that there's just a more like a deeper connection among women for us to know that something's going on and be able to reach out. I think that's why, you know, birth doulas are women and they like that's their role in um, a birth setting because like bless our partners they don't always know the right things to say or what to do and it's because it might be their first time going through all of this too yeah yeah it's interesting you say that because I had a friend who um I remember we hang out with their family regularly and I could just tell something was off. She was just not her normal self. And so our husbands happened to go outside with the kids. And so I asked like, are you okay? And she was actually had just had a chemical pregnancy like the week prior. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think as women and I'm a caregiver as well, um, 
all of my chosen careers have been in the caregiving field. It's very, it, it's a privilege in my opinion to be able to support a friend or a sister or a loved one going through something. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.